Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. Today, Joshua Harper and Chris Cogart joins me. They have a cyborg adventure that is live on Kickstarter entitled The Hard Light Dynamic. We delve deep into the elements of acid horror, at least the genre, and <laughs> we don't experience it, hopefully, and how they applied those elements in a futuristic setting. I have a Patreon. If you want to hear uncut content and support the very low cost of the show, please sign up. Grab your sidearm and your false ID. We have a job to do. Sisters and brothers, it's time to get rambling. Hello, Josh and Chris. What's up, Jeff? Thanks for having us on. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having us. Oh, no, my pleasure. Sounds like you guys have a Kickstarter called the Harl... The- yeah, I messed that up. <laughs> How can I mess up hard light? I guess I I guess it's pretty easy. The hard light dynamic. There we go. Nailed it in three. Okay. <laughs> uh yeah, yeah. We have the hard light dynamic. Um it is on Kickstarter right now. The campaign runs through the eleventh. Um, and it is an adventure zine for the cyborg role-playing game system. I'm not overly familiar with Cyborg. I know people have posted, and I think I listened to an Effect podcast. They were kind of going through somebody had taken a Cyborg product and put it on the Free League uh, community site. And um, they kind of talked a little bit about, about Cyborg. So what exactly is Cyborg? So for Cyborg, it's a little bit, it's, it's like Morkborg, if you've played Morkborg before, but with a cyberpunk aesthetic. Um, so it's very rules light OSR, uh, but in a more modern, again, cyberpunk setting. Um, it's like a dark, dirty, grim, dark society. Uh, you know, corporations kind of run everything. There's like one real rule to the game. It's like you can't, you know, support the corporations. And so uh, you, 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 can't, su- you can't support the corporations? It's something like that, if I recall correctly. Uh, the whole idea being is that you're not running jobs for you know you know the the big corps. You're running jobs you know in spite of them or you know to kind of disrupt their efforts or things like that. So yeah, but it's like a, like a, again, it's like a grim, dark cyberpunk OSR. Heavy metal is kind of a big inspiration that these creators bring to the table. So it's kind of like a flip on the Shadowrun, where it's it's like you're trying to stick it to the man, not try and make money from the man. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely trying to stick it to the man in in cyborg. <laughs> so, so what is the the hard light dynamic? So, the hard light dynamic is uh, an adventure module that Chris and I wrote together. It is kind of like it draws on our love of psychedelia horror, which is something that we both kind of have in common. Uh, so, like Suspiria, uh, a little bit of uh, Annihilation mixed in. That's the kind of adventure we were kind of constructing from the ground up. Uh, we wanted it to be uh, an adventure that kind of invoked a lot of like terror from the perspective of the player. So, I I like a lot of the encounters we have. It's like, oh, you know, you're you're like kind of staring into the face of something that's like horrifying. You don't know how to respond to it as a, a a player, not as a player, but like your character is freaking out, you know, like, Oh my goodness. And I feel like there's a lot of these moments that will instill that same kind of fear into uh, players as they're playing it. They're scared for their characters. So when you talk about, I think on the website here, you say it's called also acid horror, psychedelic horror. So 
what exactly you mentioned a couple of movies, but I'm not really too aware of those movies. So what exactly is I mean, we mentioned these movies. What what is kind of like what sets those apart from, say, other types of horror? That's a good question. Um, so like in the name psychedelic horror, it does play a little bit more on the psychedelia. And that's both from an aesthetic standpoint as well as from a, what the characters in the situation are facing, right? So it's it's less about, like, big boogeyman jumps out or the monster chases you, stuff like that. It's more uh, about things aren't quite what they seem. You question what's real and what isn't real, um, things like that. Plus, it also mixes, you know, the 70s psychedelia aesthetics to things. Um, like if you look at something like Suspiria, the really strong color palettes and lights that they're using, um, you can kind of see that like reiterated again in kind of more modern uh, indie horror like Mandy or Color Out of Space, um, you know, and, uh, you know, House 1977, one of those where they use really strong unnerving aesthetics uh, to kind of go in. So, so is it like a, an acid trip gone bad? Great way. Absolutely. Yeah. Acid trip gone bad. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of, you know, cyberpunk. There might be a little bit of that, you know, is this a simulation? Is it reality? You know, what's going on around me? And 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 that's kind of in the hard light dynamic. What we wanted to push into is it's, it starts off as this um, kind of cyberpunk heist, you know, go into this building. It's gone quiet. <clears throat> they have this what's called perfect fractal technology. That's kind of having this weird, you know, psychedelic effect on people. But really what we want is this AI at the bottom. You know, you get hired to destroy it or steal it or set it free or get the code for another company, right? And then the further into the building, level by level, the lower that you get, the more things kind of unravel. Stuff happens that's hard to track and can't be explained normally uh, until, you know, things are getting completely out of hand by the bottom. It's it kind of makes me think of Lovecraftian style as well, where it it you know maybe not so much in the direct storyline, but the idea is that you know you know what is reality and characters kind of facing that what is true and what is not true they may end up questioning uh, at least you know under that pretense. So you kind of mentioned color out of space. So it kind of makes yeah. me think in a way that sort of kind of plays in that same. Is there a mechanic? Is is the the um, uh, the unbalancing emotional unbalancing whatever is that is that just mainly narrative in nature, or is it also mechanical in nature? So when we were writing it, we wanted there to be some sort of effect. It took us a while until we kind of started selling and on what that looked like in the game, because uh, we didn't want it to just be like, oh, we tacked this on top. It's so now you you know it's a new way for you to interact. We wanted it to be something that was like you said narratively tied to it. So, you know, we, we came up with some cool effects, I think, um, some cool uh, ways to give stress points to players in regards to this topic. Um, and then, you know, like I said, the outcomes are really, I think, interesting, the ways to play with players' perceptions, 
you know, what they're seeing, what they're experiencing. And it's not just like, oh my goodness, you're stressed and your character has a meltdown. It's like, you know, maybe you thought you had been carrying an item this whole time that you actually did not, you know, you, you dropped it. <laughs> you know, maybe, you know, maybe, you know, maybe something that you have been seeing this whole time, it was never there at all. You know, kind of like playing with this perception of like- maybe the person you of, thought you killed is not dead. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Maybe, maybe you didn't get hit by that round and you were perfectly fine, but then you look in a mirror down the line and you've got a big bloody hole in your chest and your DM has been tracking your hit points for you behind the screen. So you don't know, you know what's going on. Yeah. Or just the gym's just scribbling uh, nonsense and just making you nervous. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's always an option. Also, That's always an option in any game. Oh, really? Oh, wait, let me keep track of that. Oh, never mind. You're fine. You're still okay. Yeah. <laughs> but that, we definitely that. wanted to instill uh, you know, that level of kind of, you know, fear again, not necessarily like, you know, fear per se, but anticipation of, you know, what's going to come, what's the effect going to be, you know, what is going to impact my character? Yeah, I think that's, that is, you know, and that's definitely a, uh, a, I think a difficult thing to, um, it's not always an easy thing to do. And it's, and as a game trying to make sure it's reproducible to other people, that, that is definitely a challenge. Right. And regular D and D, the idea of just losing hit points isn't fun, but it, it, it isn't necessarily scary. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the hardest thing. You know, the, the last project I worked on was a Mork board project called beyond deep, which kind of tapped into the horror you know, and, and Josh has done some work board projects and uh, even a, a system agnostic project called Junction City, which is horror based. And so we played in that realm, but that is the hardest thing, right? It's, you know, how do I give a person running a game the tools that they need to really produce a certain feeling to cause, you know, their players to have certain reactions and then also balance that out with giving them, you know, some tools so they can really make the game their own. Uh, and it is a balancing act. Absolutely. But, uh, but it's a fun one to play with, you know, and, and try to get right. Yeah. We talk a lot about, you know, um, a mechanic or the idea of play and find out, um, you know, that's like a, a really popular thing uh, I've been saying a lot lately, uh, but for this adventure, it's been something I've had to really relearn because it's, um, you know, you want it to be right. This cosmic, you know, psychedelic horror experience, you know, but I can't just like impart that by writing down, this is going to be a psychedelic horror experience. Right. This is, you know, you, <laughs> if only it was so easy. Um, so figuring out, you know, how to connect those dots for GMs, but leaving enough breathing space to where it's, you know, player decision matters and how they approach things matters. And, you know, of course, there's always those outside the box ideas that, you know, spring into action based on what you're doing in the game as well. And so you need to leave space for that as well. Um, but also, you know, you, you need some level of, you know, environment, you know, manipulation that's happening to kind of help keep that psychedelic horror aspect alive and, and present. So I'm going to assume, uh, based on your pitch, that the... Um that the general tone of cyborg isn't psychedelic horror as out of the box. No. Yeah, it is. It does bring over um, kind of that really dark 
um, kind of goopiness of Morkborg into Cyborg, uh, into Cyberpunk a little bit more than like a straight Cyberpunk game does. Um, but that's that's not necessarily the default state. Okay. Though the the weird horror aspect is kind of baked into Cyborg in general. So, but you have what we'll we'll call uh, peanut butter, which is Cyborg. Yeah. And then you have acid horror, which is chocolate. Yeah. The classic combination, baby. You got your chocolate <laughs> in my peanut butter. You got my, your peanut butter in my chocolate. Yeah. So what, what, what collision brought you two to these two together to force the, the chocolate into the peanut butter and create the hard light dynamic? So it started off as an idea um, that uh, Wes, uh, the person who wrote Beyond Deep, uh, we were kicking around. Uh, talking about Mid Journey, the recent, you know, relatively recent AI that uh, can generate art, right? And the idea kind of started off a little bit like this, a little bit more matrixy uh, around the idea of what if there are these art farms, right? Where there's this AI that is powered by all these people plugged into it, because that's kind of how the AI operates, right? It scans a bunch of art online, and um, and it was like, you know, it was fun. Uh, playing around with that from the Matrix perspective, but from the beginning, it was something where we wanted it to be a little more, you know, existentially, again, cosmic or in the background, not just like, you know, you know, shootouts and heists and things like that. We wanted it to have something that was a little more than just, you know, like I said, a heist. Yeah, I, I like, I don't know, as, as someone who's like, like played and run games since like, the early nineties off and on since I was like very young. Um, I realized later on when I like really came back to role playing games, like creating experiences is like what really made me exciting. You know, like um, those moments where, you know, you run a game and, and a player's, you know, actually really happy and excited because something happened or goes like, you know, and, right. and, you know, slips a big cuss out or, you know, whatever, like, you get like a visceral reaction out of them, even though you're playing imagination together. Um, you know, so that's, I think sometimes, you know, what kind of draws me to, to write and design stuff. Um, and so I guess that's also maybe why the last couple of things that I've worked on have a horror bent to them also, um, because it is a world that you can play around in, you know, to get kind of an, a, a more visceral reaction out of people if you do it right. Yeah, it's definitely, and I understand what you're saying, and trying to create those situations. And I think with the with the film to draw upon, I think trying to recreate those visual elements does kind of work. I know when I was running uh, back in the day, when I was running, um, um, I did a Blades in the Dark uh, game. I was actually using Cortex for it, but I try and think of a scene and then try and get the game. You know, that was really what I was considering was sessions were pretty short so i just would try to imagine a very creative scene so i guess going back to those those types of uh movies you're really creating visual scenes and trying to figure out how to maybe not necessarily get there but try and part those so i think having that film background uh or template kind of aids in in what you're trying to do here yeah absolutely you know the i think the the more kind of media references you can touch and point to, you know, the easier it is to do something like that. And, uh, I mean, we ran the situation, you know, Josh and Jeremy talked about this a couple of times and plus he lived through it. You know, we, we had a bunch of stuff written and then we ended up scrapping a lot of it and rewriting 
a whole bunch of other stuff. And it's the project's way better in the long run for it. Um, but when we did the rewrite, what we kind of ended up doing is we made a pretty solid through line, you know, not a total railroad, but like, you know, if, if they were to go here to here to here to here to here, you know, then this is a bunch of experiences that we want them to have. How do we place them in here? Now that we kind of have that, let's back up a little bit. Now let's add some variations, some branching paths. Let's add some tables. Uh, Josh designed some really cool encounters that you only get a couple of, you know, every time you run it. And so then, you know, if you run it multiple times, you're going to get different encounters or different things that happen, you know, uh, in the situation. So it makes adds variability. And uh, but it also, you know, came down to can we first really craft this experience? OK, now can we go backwards and give you a bunch of tools around it? So so what was the moment uh, that you realized, like, hey, we're going to have to rewrite this? Like, what was that? that moment where you guys looked at each other and tears start welling up and you're like, we got to do this. We got to tear this down and rebuild it. So I was the, I called Koger. I texted him and I was like, Hey, you know, like, how are you feeling about this? Uh, after, you know, I did a play test and I talk about play testing. I think it's a super fun and important part of, you know, doing these because, you know, you run through something and you realize, you know what, maybe they got too much health. Maybe they got, you know, too much, you know, X, Y, or Z and the, the adventure and you adjust it. And when we were playing through it, it was a ton of fun. Uh, you know, we were having a ton of these fun adventures, um, you know, really fun encounters. Um, ultimately, though, it was just not the experience that I was looking to create. So I talked with a friend of mine, Brian, about it. And we talked back and forth about it and, and the ideas and, and just kind of what, um, you know, like what like are the implications of like the, the horror aspects and what does that look like in the game versus what we had run. And it was so started looking at, you know, what are some other elements we can add in? And it was, it kind of got to the point where it was like, so we can either add more elements in or we can start stripping stuff out. And then when we got to that point, I was like, hey, Goger, I think we got to start stripping stuff out and kind of going back to the baseboards and then kind of rebuilding from the ground up. So there's a lot of good ideas I think we had in that process. I, I fully intend to revisit, but uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, some of those ideas just are not going to make it into this one. <laughs> Yeah, it's always fun when you're like five or six weeks out from launching a Kickstarter. Oh no! And your and your your partner goes like, "Hey man, um, so I think we might need to redo like eighty percent of this. Can you maybe come over and uh, <laughs> we need to break some things down?" Yeah, sometimes stress is a a a a. Uh can can help you through those times of trying to get something out quick but yeah had, absolutely but it, you it had clarity what needed to be changed though that's what probably what helped right yeah yeah once we got i think to the point of being like what well, we either add stuff or we take stuff out it became kind of clear i think the direction we you know was to okay well if you're trying to do cosmic existential horror it doesn't you know it's not good to throw everything at it so let's start stripping stuff out I think once we got to that point, that was like the big like, OK, everything's starting to click together now. And I, I kind of like, you know, I define it. I, I, I describe it a little like you taking everything, you're just cramming it into like a juicer, just kind of like, you know, compressing all the ideas into like a single small amount. And then that's what we built the rest of the adventure, you know, back, you know, going back to what Chris said, building the through line, 
you know, building the stuff around it and then starting to kind of, you know, frame it for people. Yeah, that, that definitely, um, it, it seems like a lot of times it's, it's, especially we're all barely new at this sort of thing. It's, it's just like, you almost have to make these attempts and, and it's never a straight, it's never a straight line from beginning to end. Uh, that's absolutely true. I, I, I think, um, after this last round, though, I, I won't write anything without having a giant whiteboard around. Um, <laughs> because because uh, that was like, I literally went to Josh's house and we were rewriting, and I was like, man, I wish I had a big whiteboard. And he's like, hold on. <laughs> I got you. But, you know, runs to his office and brings this thing out. And so it was nice because we could, for me, I'm like a, a physical visual person, you know? So then being able to talk through ideas, but then be like, here, here's a room, here's a visual aesthetic, here's what we want to create in here, here's a couple things that happen. Okay, go down to the next trunk. Okay, let's take a couple notes about this level and what's going on. Uh, and be able to visually kind of track through ideas and places um, was nice for me, and it kind of put like another, you know, tool in my box as far as, you know, going forward, things that I'll do from, from now on out. Yeah, it's... Uh... It is, it is difficult. I've never, uh, that's not true. Um, I have written an adventure. It, it, it was, it's just okay. Um, but it's definitely a different animal. And it's one of those things that seems like, you know, when you run a lot of adventures and you play a lot of adventures, it's like, it's gotta be easy, right? <laughs> it's like, I'm already familiar with this. I, I've, I've played so many games, ran so many games. And I find myself doing the exact same thing that I hate that other people do. <laughs> I hate them do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, no, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Sir. I forgot what I was going to say already. So <laughs> I thought, but I gave you the point, the visual, the visual indicator. So now it's your turn. Uh, well, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> now, you know, so like I, I did, you know, I still think about the transition from being someone who runs a lot of games as a GM or DM or whatever, you know, uh, versus writing games really is very different because in the moment you're constantly reacting off of your characters, like the players at the table or on your screen, you know, if you're online, uh, they're shooting ideas out, you know, they're bouncing against whatever is going on. And so there is that kind of like real, like improv you feel, you know, you can adjust and move a different way and kind of say yes to someone's idea. And then, you know, kind of what's going, you know, to happen later on if you've done a little bit of planning, but sometimes things take like a crazy hard left turn. Um, and then I, I think, you know, one of my big things coming into it is, you know, writing things out, you don't have that same interaction. So running play tests is, that's like a big thing. Um, but also, you know, you you can't design an adventure the same way that you would necessarily run a session because you need to give people tools to run adventures and, you know, kind of have all those things at their hands to, to really give players um, some choices. So it's, it's different than running adventures or, or like writing a short story. So that's been interesting, you know, for me, because I thought more of that would carry over and a little bit less did. I know what I want being a person who's run games, you know, as far as the tools, but designing those things has been kind of fun to learn. 
Yeah. And I think there's like a fine line you walk with, you know, when to be heavy handed and, and when, when it's being too much. Right. Cause it's like, you know, you, you have to write from the perspective of a GM, but then you also have to like understand that they're going to relay information to a third party. And so you can't like you, your idea is going to get telephoned along the way. You just kind of have to <laughs> accept that, um, you know, and figuring out how to get the important bits across in a way that is, you know, still not railroading the GM, right. You're giving, you know, like giving clues, but not, you know, boxing in, you know, certain, you know, outcomes um, while still giving them also like the player identity that the players can make choices inside of that as well. It has been a fun, uh, challenging puzzle box. <laughs> well, I think the hard part would be is, I mean, there's, you know, you know, like you or Chris may have, you know, a particular game you're really good at running at running, but, you know, but to convey that to somebody that's not you to try and provide, cause you're really looking for a similar type of experience, even though the outcomes can be different, mm-hmm. you know, to convey to, to me, like, can I read this and still get the game to run? Like, cause there's going to be a certain amount of personality that you automatically bring to your game when you run it. And if you're writing it for you, you know, Jeff may not understand exactly all the the things that are going on. So I think that's a that's a hard part is to capture and to create an experience and then being able to give that to somebody else and that they could also have also have that experience that's in your head. Yeah. And, and when when I'm writing, uh, not just on this adventure, but just in general, right, like I'm writing for not. Uh, the 136 people who have graciously backed us on Kickstarter. Uh, no offense. I'm writing for, you know, four or five people that I, you know, whenever I come up with a new idea, I'm like, Hey, we got to sit down we got to play this. And uh, you know, that's like, cause I want to create, you know, like ultimately I'm creating things, these to have fun with my friends. Right. I want to create experiences that are good for me and my friends. And if people want in on the fun, they're more than welcome to have at it. So when I'm writing stuff, right. Like I, I try to write from that perspective for, you know, my friends and then, you know, extrapolating that beyond that right like then okay how do i translate that to to larger audiences and keep those you know energies and those ideas um but you know obviously you know turn that into tables and if a gm wants to freestyle with that they're more than welcome to yeah because one thing that does like with numenera probably one of my favorite theoretically my favorite games but practically it's not is that it offers up all this weirdness, but in the end it doesn't provide any direction of how to, to write games in a meaningful way or present the world in a way that it, it communicates to a GM how to do it. But it seems like with an adventure, things are a little more direct and you can, you can provide that shoot that allows the GM to slide down, but yet you also have you know, a lot of flexibility with it. That's not going to break anything as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, designing a room, you know, we talked about even something like layout, right? You know, how do we communicate the information so that it looks cool, but it's also easy to use. And, um, you know, so we went through a ton of books that we like, you know, different scenes and stuff also. And we're going, you know, like, okay, we definitely don't want to do this. But then did you see how this book did this? This is really cool, you know? So then you might walk into your room and it's, you know, hey, here's what the room smells like. Here's what the room sounds like. Here's what's in the room. Here's the most, you know, a table things can happen or maybe the, the most important thing that you want to have in this room. 
now you can run with it. The interactions are your own, right? As a GM to run it, you've got, you know, you can give your players now sensory information. You know what you're supposed to be thinking about. And it's part of the story, you know, and then you've got kind of an event there now. Cool. You're, you're good to go. Now in the next room, it might be a little different, you know what I mean? Uh, and the layout, but what is the kind of boiled down the best information that I can give you, you know, so along this part of the adventure, you can maximize it. So are you planning? So you've, you know, this is, this is successfully funded. Yeah. So it, it is happening. So those of you back in, it's, it's, you're just uh, adding to the goodness. Um, is the, is the plan to, um, is this just like a one shot kind of thing? Or are you guys planning on, on making a series? Are you planning on stretching out the world a little bit? Or is it just a, you know, this is just what it is, an indie film project and it stands and falls just, just for what it is. So for this, uh, we designed this to be played as like a, a one session kind of thing. You know, you sit it and, and you know, we play, play a lot at cons. That's where we both have our roots at cons. And so, uh, we wanted something that we could take to cons and everything. Uh, as for stuff in the pipeline, you know, like I, you know, we got plenty of ideas that we're always cooking up. Uh, you know, I'm a, you know, habitual, notorious ideas man. Like, oh, dude, what if, you know, what if we had, you know, towers that plugged humans, we plugged humans into, and they, we took all their organs out, and this tower just powered them. Like, what if that was it, Chris? You know, just spitting out <laughs> ideas, um, left, right, and center. And some of them are good. Some of them are, you know, most of them are bad. <laughs> But, you know, we are always working on stuff. I don't know if, if you want to say anything else, Chris. <laughs> yeah. So so the Hardlight Dynamic is its own thing. It does kind of stand, you know, alone as a book. Uh, and it's meant to be run, you know, as a as a session that you can kind of get through. There are a couple of new classes in it. Uh, there's a bunch of new items, you know, things like that. So there's stuff that can translate out into other games that you could use outside of this adventure um but yeah and then i mean we have you know more cyborg in the pipeline you know we've got other stuff in the pipeline so uh it, it won't be the end of this world that we're you know exploring oh so it is a world then it's set inside so cyborg it, it, it won't be the last time we play in the system i guess oh I okay, okay yeah yeah <laughs> so cyborg is the world like like uh like morkborg is i guess is hell everybody's just playing the same hell it just may be different wherever they're at. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Yeah, exactly. You know, Cyborg is kind of set in Psy, you know, and uh, and so there's a bunch of places, the wastes and, you know, the industrial zones, and the, there is kind of a built-in setting. Um, you could strip it out and use it just as a system, but I think the built-in setting they have is fun. And they give you kind of the big round pieces of it. Uh, and give you a lot of space to then go into those sections and really make them your own and play around with them. So I appreciate that. Yeah, that's neat. I think they also are pretty generous. I mean, I was with Morkborg with their licensing. That just makes it even more attractive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, free league licenses are killer. Um, you know, and the Cyborg one is another one that's uh, very good to third-party creators. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I mean, like I said before, Josh and I have both made more Borg stuff before and now we're making cyborg. Obviously we kind of jive with the Stockholm cartel, you know, vibe of, of, uh, systems and worlds. And, uh, I, I have, besides those two, I have a bunch of free league stuff, um, as a company that puts out product, they have a lot of things that I really enjoy. 
Yes, we want to say nice things about free league. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So anyhow, the uh, yeah, so that's, that's a great idea because it really kind of allows, I guess, people because it kind of fits within the system and because it is kind of a a you're not really doing anything crazy. It's it. I guess could people play it in their normal cyborg games that fit within that, or is it really like? Absolutely. Yeah, it, you could slot it in, you know, because cyber's so weird and there's a lot of stuff going on, you know, you could go 10 blocks, you know, away from where you are and like a whole bunch of other weird different stuff is happening. Um, so you could plop this into a block, you know what I mean? And make the hard light, um, you know, the hard light dynamics as a company, one of the corporations in there and it would slide right in. Oh, so the, the hard light... <laughs> Some problem. The hard light dynamic is a company. Yeah. So, so it is. It, we kind of play. So, there is a company called Hard Light Dynamics, uh, which is named after this thing called the Hard Light Dynamic, um, which is this thing that happens around hard light being like physical light that has substance, you know. Um, and then this adventure plays around also with this kind of perfect fractal that you know, this AI has designed now. Um, and all of the kind of weird implications it has. That's people look at it and study it and, you know, interact with it. Uh, it kind of starts manifesting in different ways and playing with their grasp of reality and perception and stuff. So is the hard light dynamic a, a, uh, is that an actual thing in the setting or is this something that you added to the setting? It's all stuff we came up with. Okay. Um, so. Yeah, and and kind of going back to a little bit of like how you can play this, we've kicked around the idea of making a um, Cyber Metal 2012 version of this as well, just kind of playing around with it. So you, it's not even like like you, it, it could you know it's designed for Cyborg, it fits well into Cyborg, but you could even take it into like other systems, and you know we wanted it to be something that you could take to you know even even if you wanted to try to say into, you know run it for Powered by the Apocalypse, you know run it in the sprawl, like you know you could take this as a rough framework and, and play around with that system as well. So it's, it, you can play it, you know, in Cyborg, but well beyond there as well. So what was the setting that you said before the sprawl, the Cyber Metal 2012? What is that? That's a world champ game company, Adam Voss. Um, it is like a, it's kind of in the same vein. It, they call it lo-fi death metal uh, cyberpunk. Okay. <laughs> I guess I'm an old man here. So lo-fi. <clears throat> so lo-fi heavy metal uh and cyberpunk so lo-fi i'm i'm assuming is without all the fancy uh cyber equipment yeah i think it's kind of like aliens ish if you're familiar with that universe like crt computers on spaceships kind of aesthetic okay yeah so it's lo-fi but then the metal I'm trying to understand. So how does the metal adjective work? Um, so like literal demons wandering around. And, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. Like doom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of okay. doom. I'm down with that. In. Okay. You know, yeah. So I, like, I imagine. Turn down, uh, the, turn down yeah, the dial one and turn the dial up on another. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, a really killer hellscape painted on the side of a van. You know what I mean? (laughs) Just like hop right in there with some cyberpunk also. Uh, 
you know, there's a, I would, I would add that to a long list of games I would never want to run, but I'd always be up to play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Well, Elk, I mean, there's, we've got some, um, some cyber metal books circulating in our, our group of, uh, of friends here, Jeff. So if somebody puts together a game, we'll, uh, we'll holler out to you. Okay. Oh, that sounds good. It sounds great. Cyber metal. Yeah, you know, it's those things like I never knew, you know, there's some things you until you see, you never knew you needed it. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's fun, right? Like one of the few like good parts maybe um of the internet and you know the way everything functions and hyperconnectivity is like things can get more and more niche creatively. Um, you know, and people come up with these kind of wildly interesting ideas and aesthetics. And like you said, all of a sudden you come across and you're like, I wouldn't have come up with that, but that's right as hell. And yeah. now I need it. Now I need it in my life. Yeah, we, we really do live in a, in a golden age, I think, uh, with the intersection of the internet and Kickstarter and, and, um, plus the, shoulders of all the creative people that have been creating stuff the last 40 years. Well, and I think the licensing stuff is definitely like kind of clearing itself out of the way a little bit you know, like powered <laughs> by the apocalypse um, right. that as a system, you know, I think was pretty cool and how they um, changed a lot of gaming, but also they, they were like, you know, you know, this is free, you know, you can play it. You can download the rules for now, I believe for apocalypse rule for free. And, if you want to make stuff for it, you, you just need a little bit of a legal blurb. Same for Morkborg, same for you know a lot of the other stuff that these people have put out, um, you know, Cyborg um, and other Borgs as well kind of have that same mentality. So I think it's cool. Like, I think the culture is definitely, you know, opening up to being more about creating cool stuff rather than letting ourselves be limited by, you know, all this legal stuff. Well, you know, in, when you were mentioning about, you uh, talked beforehand about all the different Kickstarters that using cyborg and Morkborg and it made me think of, you know, Watsy putting out the original OGL, you know, they said, you know what, the, 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 the juice for us is other people making content. We just sell the core books and that just created a, you know, um, the amount of, uh, what's what I'm looking for. It, it, it generated a lot of companies, a lot of creativity occurred around that. It wasn't until recently they decided you know what? We just we want to take all our toys and go home. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I thought, you know, it's interesting how, like, even though Morkborg is nowhere near as popular as you know, was the co or Dungeons Dragons, but my goodness, it's like they are just gangbusters, and a lot of it's just tied to the the third. You know, so many people are excited, you know, by this, these third parties. They 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 continue to. Well, they continue to be strong, both with Morkborg and now with Cyborg. Yeah, we'll see like a lot of systems put out on Kickstarter, uh, you know, very frequently. And I'm not trying to throw shade at any of them. They're all really cool. Uh, a lot of games, though, really just don't get a lot of like aftermarket support. You know, once your game comes out, I, I yeah. see a lot of games that just don't get support. And you know, the, the people that made Morkborg, you know, they definitely saw what made their game, you know, what they could do to make their game successful. Um, they did a lot of community support. And I, you know, I say it like that, like, I'm, I think it was mostly just community support driven. They were wanting to make yeah. cool stuff with their community. You know, it was not about like this profit motive. It was like, you know, we want to make cool stuff. 
you know, they, they had people send stuff in and they did like a, a as a cult, right. I believe, mm-hmm. um, you yeah. know, they had like, a, it was a community, you know, created zine. Um, and that was, you know, what, that was what they did. And that was, you know, a way to support the game after it had come out through other people who weren't just them, like not leaving it in house. It's just funny. If you just decide to be, you know, a, you know, cool people and, uh, put out cool stuff. Sometimes that's just enough to make you successful. Um, <laughs> Well, they have a good product too, but I just think, but I think that on the flip side too, it's like you're talking about, you know, people putting out games and not supporting, um, you know, the sport afterwards, like, you know, that's real, you know, for, for people like you and myself, um, maybe I should speak for you, but, you know, to come up with a new rule set is extremely hard and requires a lot of play test and it, it takes a lot of energy. You know, it's, it's, a it's, it takes less energy to just do an adventure. And, and so um, it allows you a lot of freedom to be able to, to do something without having to, you know, go through the, all the rigorous, you know, play testing, for, like for a rule, you know, you know, things being off on adventures, one thing, but things being off on a rule set is just something else completely. Oh yeah. I, uh, I've got a rule set kicking around the back of my head for a long time it's like the rules are all written it's all pretty much polished uh, just need some last touches um but you know going from beginning to end of that process oh my goodness like you know trying to make sure that everything is balanced that way you know no one feels left out at the table you know just because the rules create situations like that making sure that you know the situations are not unbalanced but also right the gm still you know is able to have the tools necessary to tell the stories that they want to tell so oh my goodness <laughs> I think my favorite thing about third edition D and D is not the actual game, but of all the reading about what all the things that people did to kind of break the game are, are just weird, abstract stuff like mounting, dismounting is zero action. So you could create a series of poles with saddles on it, stretching for miles and you could instantly travel from city to city, you know, when you start playing with rules and, and how you can do this, I really just find that stuff just fascinating. Yeah, it is funny, right? You know, when you 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 build a hobby and then you say this is the rules for this game, and then it attracts just like nerds and geeks, you know, by the <laughs> mile. Well, then they're they're gonna play in that space and be like, "What can I do?" You know, with this rule set here to really make it crazy. Yeah, uh, that stuff's pretty fun. Yeah, handing people. I think one thing was like handing an object to somebody's an instantaneous action. So you just get like a thousand people and then you create a real <laughs> by just a simple rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That that's why now you see like some of these indie games, you know, and they're like if you know, in the beginning there's the blurb and it's like, you know, if the rules don't cover it or it doesn't make sense, just do whatever would make sense. <laughs> <laughs> Please, for the love of God, be reasonable. I think what I what I enjoy most, and I can't remember where I first saw this, but they were talking about like like spell um descriptions. So like the very earliest, you know, D, it was like light was like very simple. But then it kept getting more and more complicated and stating what it can and can't do uh, because people were abusing it. And then what the, the company felt that then they needed to do is to add more rules to rein that in. <laughs> yeah. You know, it is like when you get to third edition specifically, like you're talking about, it became such a tactical game 
and there needed to be more and more rules and five foot steps and minis on a map and all these interactions, you know? And, and the problem is like the more granular you make rules, the more holes there are in, in everything, <laughs> yes. right? Because the more interactions there are, you're never going to be able to catch them all, you know? So when you have a, a you know, BX basic or expert D and D or these old, you know, old D and D like, it's actually funny because there's less rules and there's more people going like, you know, okay, well, would that make sense? Or let's figure this out as a group or, you know, as a DM, then you don't end up with those holes. Right. You know, cause you're going to sit at the table and be right. like, well, this is what that means. You know? Right. Or you go through the thousand feet, figure out all the combinations yeah. and then, you know, find the, if I do this, this, and this, you know, I will be unbreakable or I can, you know, do impossible things. It's, I, I I think it's a to me I don't really care for that type of game design but I do enjoy reading about people that break it. Yeah. <laughs> well, right, like that's the that's like the big draw for D and D I think in Pathfinder, right? The lonely fun aspect of like building your character, you know, figuring out what do I want this character to do, and sometimes it's Mimi. Sometimes, right, you're like, oh, actually, I'm gonna climb as my run action, and then I'm going to you know take a bonus action to do whatever. Um, but you know, you, you come up with these, um, you can tell I haven't played that much D and D, but you know, um, you create these, um, you know, you create these fun characters, right? Like that's, you know, that's the whole point is you, you build your character sheet versus with OSR is you're not really, it's not so much about your character. It's about exploring a dungeon, finding some cool loot, you know, killing some cool shit, things like that. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is, and I never realized, you know, early on playing, but especially with BX, um, it's it's really not like your character being good. It's it's actually hiring retainers and managing people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, wait, wait, hold on. I've gotten far enough to where I'm like middle manager fantasy, <laughs> the role playing game right now. Well, in the, even the beginning, if you have a yeah. high charisma and you're only you're a magic user with one hit point, yeah, you hire a couple mercenaries. Yeah, please stand in front of me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it turns, it, and I think what's kind of cool is that it it really isn't. It, it really is a if you were to play it just as it is, as far as that goes, I mean, it really is a different kind of game than most people play it. Um, you know, and it, it is kind of a fun, cute, maybe not cute, not the right word, but it is its own thing. But then later on, they kind of did away. You saw how retainers, but that was not as core. But with low hit points, it was very necessary, you know, to do that. Yeah, absolutely. It was built into the system, you know, to to really do that. I think that's like we talked earlier, you know, you said we kind of live in a golden age of like role playing games. Um, and I talked a little bit about, you know, stuff becoming a little more niche. But I, I think that is kind of some of the fun, right? Is like there's a system out there, an adventure out there to do almost anything, you know? So if you want your lo fi, you know, hyper metal cyberpunk you know you can go grab cyber metal and, and do that you know or cyborg or another game or you know i picked up a game the other day and it was you know so completely hyper specific that it's like this game is built to create this one experience you know and uh and i think that's like kind of interesting and, and entertaining um to see what people are doing out in the world and creating more niche things and then also there's larger systems that 
you know, give you really good fantasy, but that's very sword and sorcery versus heroic, you know, right. versus running big bands of mercenaries or whatever. So it's it's nice to be, you know, here. Sometimes the problem is just finding the cool stuff. Yeah. And well, or you find the cool stuff and find somebody that'll play the cool stuff with you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. True. It's very true. Yeah. What's that one game? I is it I am John or we are John? Oh man. Yeah. What's that is one called? Everyone is John. Everyone, everyone is, is John. John. Yeah. I, I, it's one I want to play. I never I never have gotten a chance to. Oh, I love all those weird ones. Koger and I, so we were to Koger GM'd uh, a Power of the Apocalypse game for a long time for us. And we ended up doing some weird ones uh, at the end when we were kind of going our separate ways. What's a weird uh, one? I mean, I say weird, like lasers and feelings. It's not weird, but oh, yeah. like, it's like a, you know, not what, a, you know, if you're not used to RPGs, it might not be like what you think of when you first think of them. Um, but jo- everyone was John was one of the ones we talked about. Uh, a lot of the one seven from John Harper. Um, yeah. No relation, but oh, okay. maker. Yeah, I, I I like a lot of the Harper stuff for sure. Uh, I like a lot of Grant Howitt's stuff also. I ran Trashkin for a, a long time, which is you know a a one page game about being in a fantasy world, except you are a raccoon or a possum or some sort of trash eating anthropomorphic little creature, you know. Uh, that's living off of the the refuse of everybody else. So there's a there's a lot of fun stuff out there. Yeah, I think uh, I I maybe this is a little bit bigger. Uh, I remember playing Honey Heist, which was fun. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Honey Heist got big. You know, uh, I think it hit a couple of the actual plays and kind of got into the internet. You know, and uh, has spread pretty wild. And that that's a fun one. And the other one we played um, was. Um... Well, must be getting late. My brain's uh, my brain's failing. Honey heist. What's the other one? Oh, there's another one called. Thre- is it Threadbare? Have you ever played that one? Is a po- honey po- powered by the apocalypse, where it, it's like a post-apocalypse, but you're a toy. No, but I just googled it, and I will be probably picking it up now. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. <laughs> it can get pretty dark. You can you make that one as dark as you want. You can go, you know. Whichever version of Toy Story base makes you feel better, but uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, so yeah, we do live in a golden age, and I think it's it, it's amazing. And you're right with uh, that's a nice thing about even the small zines. Like you're not gonna like lasers and feelings. You're not gonna play a campaign, um, but but you can play. You know, uh, do a fill-in game, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm just like looking at this Threadbare RPG page, and it's like, what is Stitch Punk? There's a Stitch Punk RPG. That's, that's <laughs> like, like, like you go back ten years and talk to people about Stitch Punk, and they're not gonna, they're gonna be like, what? What, the, what are you talking to me about? <laughs> like, that's yeah. awesome. That's <laughs> cool. You know, we we mentioned Wes earlier, Wes Askelis, who's uh, you know um, one of the the other half of Beyond Deep uh, and Spooky Build Games, and uh, they have done. Something that I joked about and did a little bit, but they're running a random RPG club right now, you know, where a couple of times a month uh, they will grab one of their 40 zines or systems that they have and pull together a group of five or six people and sit down and play through, you know, some like really cool zine. And uh, I think that's like a fun way to experience it. You know what I mean? If you can build that kind of community, uh, because it's, 
there's a million things that I want to play and I have back stuff here that I, I need to get through. Yeah. There was a group I was had, uh, that everyone would get bored after about eight sessions at most between oh. four and eight sessions. So every campaign only ran so many, we would, we would run a different game and, uh, and that's where, our, and also the, the, I had a bunch of young people in there and then that's where, uh, they'd bring up just some odd, just some odd stuff that I never would play the, um, I can't remember. There's one where you just play cute Japanese creatures and you're there to like help people. And I'm like, into it. There. Send, send me the link later, Jeff. I'm there. Yeah. All right. I, I want it for sure. Yeah. And you, and you get, you get, you get, you're not supposed to scare people or hurt. you're there to help. So it's, it's, it was, it was very, you know, so I played one of the games I played was the, uh, it was a monster because the Japanese, their ideas of monsters are just, just whack. So I was uh, a basically a human leg that was an umbrella. I can't remember what the, what they're called. Uh, yes. <laughs> after I'll, I'll send you a link and I, I recall what that is. But anyway, you know, it, again, it's like, I think the thing with these games is like, I would never run it. I enjoyed playing in it a few times, but I think it's, it's, it's definitely uh, helps to see how different ways of running games besides just the typical, you know, ways we tend to want to go. Well, I yeah. think like a, a lot, there's a lot to glean from other games just from the aspect of like, you know, we're all designing games, right? Like, I know it sounds like, you know, um, this is a good movie because it's a movie kind of quote, but like, you know, it, there's a lot to glean from like some person's random story that they're trying to tell in a game, you know, where you're playing as, you know, Japanese, you know, folklore creatures, right? There's like mechanisms in there that, you know, you can learn and, and adapt and, you know, think, oh, like this is getting me to focus on this or, you know, this is getting me to figure out this and, and take those. And I, th I think that's like a really fun part of just playing all these different games. Yeah. And not everybody wants to be a barbarian that kills 100 things and finds a box of gold, you know. Um, and sometimes you do want to play that game, but then later on you want to have, you know, some other little experience as well. So um, these things provide so many tools and resources for broadening your horizon yeah and i think even like you know and i you know like 10 candles i've never played but i mean that that to me would be a fat i don't i don't know it had to be at the right place the right time for me to really want to control myself through through that but i mean you know there are games that are more emotional i mean they're they, they're tied more to emotional type situations and i think there's a certain amount of catharsis thing going with that i've got a, 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 a we'll call him a friend an internet friend uh, i haven't spoken for a while but he's from um was it from finland and they would do these crazy larps you know like they've gone for days and it would be intense you know it's like it's world war ii or in a bunker and we're being shelled and we're gonna die in three days you know i mean it, and it's just like it's like and uh but i thought you know it, it, it's kind of interesting how like you know how through playing it through games people try and explore these different uh emotional spaces um which i think probably is is better than what we we do especially in our culture where we just tend to you know <laughs> so watch my jan wine movie and i'll be okay <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah i mean 
role playing games are fantastic for that. You know, I haven't thought about that as much lately. That's something we, we talked about on the last game. Um, but it is, you know, it's a chance to be someone else or act a little differently or try on a different personality or experiencing something that you've never experienced before. And you can do that and throw yourself into it as much as you want, you know, but without the consequences of the real world, you know, being around it and uh, kind of generating through all of those emotions and stuff is, is really cool. Uh, like you mentioned catharsis and I think that's a, a good way to put it, you know, for a lot of people. Yeah. And I think in, in, in the way it also helps, you know, it can generate empathy. And I think, you know, like there's a, there's a, uh, what's the one where it's an art playing, art role playing game where you're um, on the, um, I think you're escape slaves trying to get, go North. Ooh, I don't know, actually. And I forget the name of that, but it's like, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, games like that. There's another one where you're, I think, a, like a Japanese, or is it Japanese restaurant owner and things are kind of going bad. I mean, there's like, there's just a lot of, I think, where, where things are done that are, you know, more, I would say, curated direction that, you know, they they can offer, I think, you know, it doesn't have to be heavy handed, you know, but it, it definitely can lead to, to, to us kind of understanding the experiences of different people in a way that's not overly um, forceful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like, uh, you know, there's a ton of ways to get people to, like, I think a, a lot of the times when you frame something for someone, right, they, they feel like they're, you're being pushed to arrive at a conclusion and giving them a game where there's not a conclusion where they're trying to figure it out from, from the player, from the character's perspective. Right. I think like that is a good way to get people thinking and into a mindset that is open to, you know, learning about other things, right? Like other, other people and, and other things like that and opening you, like Chris said, opening your horizons, broadening it in that aspect. Yeah, we, we definitely, um, and I've not gone through the, the uh, Kickstarters, but uh, for ZineQuest, have there been any, any of, the, of the zines that kind of fit that niche that you guys have noticed or? I honestly have not kept up with too much of the ZineQuest stuff this year. Um, <laughs> it's, been, it's been hard. I Yeah, honestly, this is the first time I've, like, this is my first, like, Kickstarter I've done from this position. It, it's, like, a lot of work to keep up with, I feel like. <laughs> especially when you rewrite six weeks before launch <laughs> yeah I, I i find i find every aspect of it stressful and even when uh chris gave me the congratulations and i was thankful to have funded and gotten done but i didn't really feel much better <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know, well you're you're in a situation where you're like overlapping so heavily right now too jeff you know because you're fulfilling stuff and running a campaign and prepping for the next one kind of all at the same time so well yeah and i also start like i think we might have talked about camera but my my problem also is like i did it it was much better financially the kickstarter but i also had fewer numbers of people backing it so then that kind of like i start wondering and then I think we talk like, fewer retailers back this one. So it's just like, was that not so good for the other retailers? I mean, it's just like, you know, I mean, it's just those types of things start, you know, 
<laughs> Straight thoughts popping into your head. <laughs> yes. Like popcorn waiting to explode out. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's just, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, so I guess, you know, for you guys, they'll be great once you find and get it. But the thing is still even so you don't know what your, your final number is going to be. Uh, you kind of think, and then it's still, you're in that bathtub phase where it's just flat and occasionally dips negative. That's always fun. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing more exciting than being like, you know, Oh, we're like 137 backers right now. And then you like, you know, make the mistake of refreshing like 45 <laughs> minutes later. And you're like 136. Oh God, it's all going to fall apart now. Uh, you know, so. Or you could have the the number of, of of the number of backers go up, but then the amount goes down. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah, how's that happen? Oh yeah, the big pledger just decided not to um, and bow out. But in fact, I was talking to uh, the new the, the guy Oliver doing the New Edge uh, Sword and Sorcery. Um, mm, yeah, and he was saying he goes, my number one fear is, you know, I'll, I'll you know be at the end um, i've got enough people to back and then all of a sudden like 10 people drop and then i won't i won't fund i was like no that doesn't happen people don't drop at the end <laughs> people drop at the end of gary's appendix not at the very end but like two days before it was ending i'm like do i go tell oliver like i was completely wrong <laughs> and that people do drop and it isn't fun because he wasn't funded yet, so that's, he's you know run to that finish line. I like no, I just better not say anything. Yeah, I, th- I think we're going to be uh, like a, an anxious creators therapy session in a minute here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's uh, that's the name of the game. I guess once we get enough of these under our belts, will be. I don't know. It'll ever be easy, actually. Eric Blow, because I, I think, I was about how was it talking about. About being difficult and Gary uh, and Tony, uh, I can't pronounce his name, Vasella, on the on the um, RPG zines. Mm. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, he was like, "Well, I'll just treat it as a game," you know, the whole Kickstarter thing. And then, I'm like, now I have that mindset. And I so I brought in Eric Bloat and because uh, he's run a bunch of campaigns, including the was it the. Uh, was the Demogorgons and I can't remember what the, the huge Kickstarter. He did really well. Yeah, he's nervous every time. It's just he's a wreck. So it's just he could just yeah. goes with the territory. Oh yeah, the dark places and Demogorgons, right? Eric stuff. Yeah, Eric is on a, on a pretty big roll. He's got an, he's got another Kickstarter. Um, yeah, he just he just produces. So I know we need to be. I need to be more like Eric. <laughs> I think my big fear is once it funds, like, it's like, that's great. And then I will not, like, I feel like I, my stress levels will not drop until that book ships out, like, into people's hands. That is true. That is true. I try and get mine as close as I can to being done before I go to Kickstarter. I like that. <laughs> that's a good way. But, yeah, it is. I mean, I just, we we just shipped um, physical copies of Beyond Deep. You know the last big build games project this last week, and we we just have to knock out. We're waiting for our second print on demand, um, you know, proof from drive through right now before we can finally get all those print on demand international backers, you know, out. 
but uh yeah it is that weird thing right you know where it's like okay finally are we there are we there is this good we're good okay i'm gonna take a little a little breath finally here now uh but it also feels weird you know uh at the same time after putting so much into something for a while uh to be like okay is this really done cool well, and the thing is, I keep noticing things, at least the last time when I was uploading the proof. Um, I just even did the review and I was finding errors. So uh, I kept uploading, you know, uh, pages for Thane. And I realized, um, you know, there's a certain point where it's just like, oh, my goodness, this is like five revisions within, you know, half an hour of doing it the last minute. <laughs> And then I get it all done. And it's the same thing with Gary's appendix. It's like, you know, if I'm if I'm publishing, if I'm publishing books, and I'm now let's say a publisher, wouldn't it be smart <laughs> to actually put something on my products that shows that it's an RPG Ramblings product? <laughs> and I've never <laughs> done that. It's, and then like if I put that in there then I would need to order another proof copy. But if I order another proof copy, that delays another two weeks. Or I could just not do a proof copy and just hope everything works out well. And so that's where, right, even though when you're done, you're still anxious. No matter what you do, it's just like. <laughs> yeah. So you so, try to just keep on going to the next one. Yeah, I thought, how stupid is that? How stupid is that? I've not branded any product at all this whole time that's kind of wild yeah <laughs> that that is kind of yeah stupid, <laughs> stupid. no I, mean, yeah, I, I would say um i mean you know are you creating just out of curiosity did you start this as an rpg ramblings thing when you started making no actually i didn't it wasn't it wasn't until so i never do anything straightforward as probably chris can, can attest to the, the short amount of dealings <laughs> <laughs> there's no master plan there's just hard pivots i just had the <laughs> podcast and i just thought i need to do a website and i thought well why don't i just make rpg ramblings a publishing you know name as well so yeah. it, it really didn't start that way but really for the last two products i should have i should have known better see but now now you got it now now you know now i know <laughs> where did i say that? oh it's a six projects seven projects how, how many now yeah it's, yeah it'll be that'll be five so five? okay i can go back and i think it's five i don't know is it five or six maybe six i don't know because i don't know <laughs> See, <laughs> two gary's two gary's one fly uh yeah during the madlands yeah and scoundrels scoundrels but yeah, I do. Did I say fan of Flygon? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So five. Nice. So yeah. Anyway, so yeah, you guys need to. I'm sure you guys have, have thought ahead. So, so, so Chris, you and Wes are. are so are you and Wes the? Um, I forgot the name of the Bell. Uh, uh, Spooky Bell Games. Is that you two? Yeah. So you and John, are, are you? What are you? Do you guys have a a title, a, a, a company title, or 
I don't think I would say we have a company title per se. Um, I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, Spooky Bill Games. And I'm like, that's cool. Um, I came from another collective called Storywood. Uh, I just kind of fl- honestly, I float around and make ideas with as many people as I can. So I kind of view it a bit like a partnership because um, I just like making stuff. I want to make stuff with as many people as possible. So, you know, Chris and I. You know, we work together, um, right? It is a, it is a Spooky Bell Productions, right? Chris okay, is so it is Spooky, Spooky Bell. Bell. Yeah, so okay. this, this is through Spooky Bell Games. But then, you know, we're both creators that make stuff. So, like, Josh and I have talked about, like, you know, down the line as we do more stuff, do we want to co-brand stuff, you know, uh, different things like that. So, um, you know, there's different ways to handle that these days, um, which is kind of interesting, too. You know, there's a lot of options there, so. Uh, but this one's sitting in Spooky Bill Games right now. So, well, what I was thinking just earlier today, Chris, um, have, have either of you two played Marvel Heroic role playing game? Mm-hmm. No. So it's a dice pool game. It's based off the Cortex Plus, which became Cortex Prime. Okay. Yeah. And so it's a dice pool game. And, uh, but the Marvel Heroic has a thing where um, you're, you have a character. Um, it's not an archetype, but it's kind of, Basically, there's different levels of things you add to your dice pool. And the one is, I well, it's not archetype, but we'll, it's how you work best. Okay. And then depending on which situation, you either add, you choose which gets a D6, which gets a D8, which gets a T, or maybe it's a D4. A D4, maybe it's a, maybe it's a D6, D8, D10, or it's a D4, D6, D8. And so the options are um, solo. The second one is partner, and the other one is group. And you choose which die years are. And so if you look at the characters, some characters in the Marvel Universe are good as groups. Some are do team-ups, and some are, like, you know, more on their own. Like, Wolverine is great at being solo. But maybe Spider-Man's good at, at team-ups with one other person. But maybe Iron Man's best as a, as a, with an ensemble. So, Chris, I think yours is uh, partnerships. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're, Absolutely. You're, yeah. Your, your D8 is not with a, is not in, in with a uh, large group. Uh, it is with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I do. I mean, it's cool to have friends who like to make cool stuff, you know, and I'm always looking, though, for, you know, more people to work with, but also building partnerships with people, you know, to, to do interesting things. You know, um, I, I, I realized a long time ago, right. There's like a certain amount of stuff that I can do and feel really good at by myself. Um, but if I'm bouncing ideas off of another person or I have someone else to work with, um, then I can go way farther and be more consistent. Um, and uh, I, I know I feel strongly about the fact that I am good with other people's ideas and good at helping people reach the potential of their ideas. Um, so, you know, with Spooky Bill Games, that's one of the things I'm looking forward to as I do more and more stuff, right? It's not only putting things that I care about and that I write, but like gathering together people to work with them to really help people like put out the best like project that they can put out. Yeah, and I think even like with Wes, it, it's or with Josh. I mean, um, you know, it, the idea is is you know, come up with an idea that is also something you communicate to other people to get them excited. Mm, yeah, yeah, different different skill sets for for sure. So, 
Because I think a lot of times you can have the idea, but you got to be able to communicate. So you got to say, you know, so Josh is going to say, hey, Chris, (laughs) (laughs) I know the tower made of human organs probably wasn't great, (laughs) but this one is cool. And then just Chris goes, yeah, that is cool. (laughs) I'm like, this is pretty radical. We're still going to use that tower of organs some other way, but not for this one. (laughs) It'll be watch, watch for it in the future. It'll be out there one day. You know, maybe the, um, you know, maybe that's, maybe there's an island where all the lost ideas go and that becomes its own adventure. Oh, that's kind of fun, actually, though. That's pretty pretty neat. Like a battle world, but for all your ideas. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's good. We'll talk. We'll talk later, Jeff. All right. Sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) Well. I think we're hitting the 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 time space continuum. Uh, we're uh, I was going to try and keep it short, but uh, I, I could keep talking. <laughs> I think for all of us involved, we probably ought to probably call it quits for the night. Yeah, absolutely. It's probably a good a good time to wrap it up now. Yeah, and and Josh, it's been it's been uh, great having you on. I really uh, enjoy that, and you too, Chris. Awesome. Yeah, Always thank- good to talk to you. Man. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh yeah, I, I'm I'm very thankful. We uh, it's just good to meet another another creator. And uh, but anyway, thanks for coming on, and then we'll have to have you guys on next Kickstarter, Cyborg Part Two. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, take care, guys. All right, see you.